In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today marks the beginning of the most dreaded season of the liturgical year. No, we aren't changing vestments and altar hangings from green to purple, but that's right around the corner. We also aren't going to recite the great litany after the office today, but just wait for Advent and Lent. And, not yet anyways, we are not going to remind you that you are dust and place an ashen cross on your foreheads. That will come in February. Rather today, and for the next few weeks, we will be talking about the season of stewardship. Stewardship is one of those bad words in the church, especially when the preachers address it from the pulpit. Between opinions about the nature of the preacher's desire for more money, you know, he's just saying this stuff so we can pay him more, or the perceived notion that the church is only about extracting money from innocent people, our understanding of stewardship has become jaded. Just look at any television evangelist. One in particular asked us a few years ago to pray him a new $50 million jet and that he just needed it to preach the gospel. Now, I could go on about that particular incident for days, so, so please don't get me started. But it is people like him and many of the other prosperity gospel preachers that have contributed to the false notion that the church is nothing but big business looking for more revenue. That is not what stewardship is about. Today's lesson from Exodus is a perfect introduction to what is one of the opposing ideas of stewardship. And it is that of idolatry. Let's take a moment to remember how the Hebrew children ended up where they are. Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, who was later named Israel, became a ruler of Egypt. During a famine, he allowed his brothers, his father, and all of the family to come and settle, giving them a piece of land that Pharaoh had set aside for them. Eventually, they became slaves to the Egyptians and were set to the task of building and making bricks. Moses, as a child, is set adrift in an ark, is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, and becomes a prince of sorts in Egypt. After killing an Egyptian, he flees, marries, and has an encounter with a burning bush. God, speaking through that spectacle, sends Moses back to Egypt, and through a series of signs and plagues, God, through Moses, redeems Israel, the last event being the crossing of the Red Sea. Now they have arrived at Mount Sinai, and Moses is on the mountain, about 40 days and 40 nights, and the Israelites have now become restless. Let's think about these Israelites. 
They have seen with their own eyes the saving deeds of God. It was not all that long ago that they watched the Red Sea fall back on the chariot and chariot drivers of the Egyptian army. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire had been leading them, and about 40 days ago, they heard and saw God descend. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of the trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak, and God would answer him in thunder. When the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Can you imagine seeing or hearing this sight? Can you imagine the Israelites remembering all that had happened in Egypt, from the Nile turning to blood, to the slaughtering of the firstborn during the Passover? And now, the children of Israel have forgotten Yahweh. They have already forgotten the God of their redemption. Come, make gods for us. And as our psalm so eloquently put it this morning, and so they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that feeds on grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. How many times are we just like the Israelites? We have just had an experience, say, a spiritual awakening, or perhaps survived what should have been a deadly car accident, or our mother has miraculously recovered from an illness, or the friend you have been exchanged from rings the phone. And we know that somehow, in some way, God was behind it all. And we say to God and to ourselves, things will never be the same again. I will pray more, read my Bible more, give to the poor more, because I have a blessing that I have received. But then life sets in. We commit for a few days or weeks. If we're honest with ourselves, perhaps only moments or hours. And then something else comes along, and it obstructs our view of God. It isn't that God has drifted somewhere else, but that thing, that idol, or perhaps idols, Fill our field of vision. God hasn't moved. The idols have only blocked 
God from our people. So, just what is an idol? Is it a statue? Yes, it could be. Especially if you believe that the power of the being in the statue is a god. Could it be money? Yes. If all that you live for is the acquisition of more and more and more wealth at any cost, could it be status? The sense of being important? Yes. Especially if you have to change who you are just to become the person you think everyone wants you to be. Cars, movies, sports, one more pair of shoes, one more rifle or fishing pole. You know what your idols are. And idols, left to themselves, are powerless. Remember the words of the psalmist. Their idols are silver and gold, even the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but speak not. Eyes but see not. Ears have they, but hear not. They that make them are like unto them, and so are all as put their trust in them. And what are they? Idols are dead. And those who make idols are dead. And those who put their trust in idols are dead. The idols are not alive. And they never will be. But our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is alive. He is the living God, and it is from that living God where we ourselves find our lives. One of the many facets of stewardship comes in how we regard the treasure we have, and by practicing stewardship, we begin to put all that we have into right relationships with God with our neighbor, and with ourselves. Stewardships allows us to see more clearly what gifts we have and what the right use of those gifts are. It isn't just about money. It is also about how we use our work, or how we use our homes, or our relationships. We sometimes say that stewardship is about time, treasure, and talent, but it is in reality much, much more than that. It is about putting everything 
in right order. Everything. This week, as we reflect on stewardship, allow yourself to imagine for just a few moments what your life, your household, this parish, and I dare say this world, what all these things would look like if we put everything into right order and then render thanks to God for the wonderful gifts he has given us. Honestly, that is hard. It takes much mental energy to even wrap our heads around what a right ordering might look like. Perhaps the best place to start is to realize that when we practice stewardship, we ourselves become stewards, someone who is employed to manage domestic concerns. We are called by God to manage all of creation, to care for all of it. And that is where we start with stewardship. It is the care and concern of creation. And we begin to, with those things we possess or control or have power over directly. Don't use the resources of creation to make an idol. Notice that the Hebrew children willingly gave their gold rings and earrings to form that idol. It was their own gifts that created the calf. It was their own gifts given by God. Remember, the Egyptians gave them these treasures as they departed Egypt. These gifts that were given to them by God that they used to craft the idol, which is what makes all idols perverted and insidious. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Stewardship calls us to remember the saving deeds of God. You, in the parish of St. Christopher, Remember, remember the saving works of God, especially those through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.